0: and welcome to staff picks the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds as always i'm mario lanza and i'm your host on our journey through the movies that just need a little more attention that just need a little more love and our movie today is one that uh It was a big deal at the time when it came out, and I would say it kind of was forgotten, or you don't really hear about it as much anymore, and the movie I am talking about is the 1992 classic White Men Can't Jump, one of the most formative movies of my childhood just because of when it came out and how innovative and unique it was for its time, and I'm uh, very excited to delve into it. I have a, a great guest for this one. Uh, This is a guy I've known for a long time through the reality TV community. His name is Adi Heller. He uh, is a uh, works in healthcare management, but I, le- I believe his side job is he works for comedy sports and he does a lot of improv comedy, and he loves 90s movies especially. He's a big fan of 90s movies, just loves top- delving into entertainment topics and stuff like that. I'm very excited to get him on to talk about a movie that there is a ton going on in this movie, and you need the right kind of host for this one. So welcome to talk about White Man Can't Jump, Ad Heller.
1: Thank you. Glad uh, that we got another white man. Uh, for this film uh an expert on the movie
0: yeah i felt that would be the optimal pairing two white guys to talk about this movie yeah yeah right
1: i mean i i watch a lot of basketball so i've got that going for me thank you thank you mario for the very nice introduction
0: oh yes and you're someone i've wanted to have on the show for the longest time Adi is one of the smartest guys i know just um my history is I know all these people through reality TV world and email, and I just talk to them online, and then I just kind of I have file away in my head. People that I think have a lot more to say than other people, and Adi is a guy I've always wanted to have on this show, so I'm very excited that we finally get to meet.
1: I am also very excited. I was an admirer of yours uh, for probably like seven or eight years before we made any contact uh, through the online fandom. Wow. Uh, so it's pretty cool to me, honestly, that we now, you know, have met and talked to a whole bunch and I like the show, so I'm really happy to be part of
0: it. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's so cool. And and uh, just to jump right into this, there's a lot to talk about in this movie. Um, why Why are you the perfect choice? to host this episode. I am curious because I, 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 I tend to pick people. I I assign them. Okay. He would be good for this one. She would be good for that one. I don't, I don't remember exactly why we came to the decision. We were going to talk about this movie. This is one we decided well into last year. It's like in the first season of staff picks. And I just never had time to get this one. Do you remember why we decided you would be the perfect co-host for this one?
1: So I, yeah. So my, experience watching this movie. The first time was very formative for my life. I uh, watched this when I was nine years old in the theater with my dad and my mom and my sister. Uh, My parents definitely didn't know what they were getting us into. Uh, And the characters and the lines from the movie became like recurring characters in my family's life growing up. So this is, the the movie is in a lot of ways kind of in my DNA at this point. So, um, so I was, once I saw it on your list of things you were considering, I was like, give me that.
0: <laughs> now, a nine-year-old seeing this movie, for for people who don't know White Man Can't Jump, this is right up there with like the South Park movie and the amount of profanity per minute in a movie. So And boobs. And boobs, yeah. So I, I would love to know how uncomfortable <laughs> was that experience with your parents?
1: It was... I think the second most uncomfortable experience I would ever have at the movies with my family. Uh because a few years later we would all go to see American Beauty together <laughs> and watch statutory rape.
0: Uh Aww. together.
1: But yeah, so it was definitely uncomfortable. We did not talk about the things that made us uncomfortable, like like good East Coasters. Uh and, uh, but, but on the other hand, we totally leaned into everything that we loved about the movie, which was just all the, the trash talk and all the jokes and Rosie Perez specifically.
0: <laughs> now. Okay. Now is very, you're very East coast, right? You're in Massachusetts.
1: Yes, yes, raised, not born, I was born in Israel, but uh, raised from the age of one and spent pretty much all my life in the Northeast.
0: Okay, so you're very East Coast, and I am very West Coast, I was raised in Seattle, and then went to college in the Santa Clara, San Jose Bay Area, and now I live in LA, so we have a little mm. bit of the East Coast, West Coast thing, we'll be re- be able to provide both perspectives on this movie. Yes,
1: yes, <laughs> uh, and, and I went to school in the Midwest, oh. uh, where i I guess Billy is from, do we know exactly where Billy is from?
0: At one point, Billy Hoyle says he went to college in Louisiana.
1: I believe that, but i I think I think he's corn fed. I think he's in Nebraska or Indiana or something like that.
0: Okay, well, so we can jump right into this movie. I'm just gonna say. I'm, I'm hoping most of our audience has seen white man can Up. jump. If you haven't, the short version is, is it's about a couple of street ball hustlers in Venice, Los Angeles, California, and it's basically the trials and tribulations of street ball and hustling. And, but it, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's not really doing the movie justice. Can you like, what yeah. would you say this movie is about?
1: So, yeah, so I, that's like, so I was prepping for this a little bit and um came with one big question, and I don't think we have a, an easy answer for it. Um We'll have to talk it out if you're into it, which is what genre is this movie? Because it's not really like your classic like sports movie, as we'll get to like, you know, the, there isn't really a big game. There sort of is a big game, but that it doesn't actually matter that much. It's it's not really a heist movie like they're robbing but it's there's no one big case or anything like that it's not a romantic comedy for sure Mm -hmm. in how it ends so anyway so what is this movie it's like uh, it's a time capsule of basketball culture on the streets of essentially Venice Beach in LA in the early 90s late 80s and it's it's guys struggling in a really rough economy Mm -hmm. (laughs) right Uh, and just like trying to make some fun in their life while they do it and not have too much blowback on their personal lives (laughs) and then kind of failing at that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. I've been thinking about that since you were talking, what genre is this? Let's, let's get back to that at the end of this episode for remind me if I forget to do that, because I just want to say, yeah, the one thing that you mentioned there that this movie is like set in a specific place I'm not sure I could think of another movie that's more of its time and could not take place anywhere else in history than White Man Can't Jump as Venice basketball courts in the early 90s. Like yeah. someday they may try to remake this movie. And I'm like, why? Like there's no point to remake it. Cause it is so specific to a certain point in time, like the culture, the music, the dialogue, everything in this movie screams like early nineties to me. And that's the one thing that always jumps out. Like it is just of its time. And there's no reason for it to go any other point in history. Like this movie just had to be made right then.
1: There was apparently talk about a sequel shortly thereafter, which I think probably could have worked um If you did it right away, mm-hmm. if you did it right, right away. But I think what you're saying is totally correct. And I don't know enough about streetball culture to know, like, if they did something, it would almost have to be set in a different place. Like maybe New York, you could do something in Brooklyn mm-hmm. um, or something like that, like maybe kind of have a sequel in spirit or a reboot in spirit. But trying to do the same thing again is just unnecessary, you know, and also totally out of time at this point
0: so you're saying, you're saying you didn't grow up in street ball culture the the Jewish kid in Boston did not grow up playing street ball in LA I
1: I played uh, in the weekly rec league <laughs> in the gym uh,
0: was there a lot of trash talking a lot of mother jokes in there
1: there there were a lot of angry parents in the <laughs> stands who wanted calls to go in favor of their children <laughs> it's the closest we got to that trash talk. <laughs>
0: Okay, here's my story. This is something I've been saving for this podcast is that you were nine when this movie came out. I was 18. This movie came out Mm -hmm. in uh, I think March of 1992 when I was just turning 18. So it was my senior year in high school. And I will always have fond memories of this movie because I played a lot of basketball. People would be surprised at me being such a dork that I played basketball, but I I played for years. And I used to play in the the the, the Belvi Boys and Girls Club. I played at home. I played at uh in the Mormon. My friends were Mormons. We played in their stake So I played tons of basketball, but like nothing like the street ball in this movie, which was a totally different world than I was in. And so this is what I always remember, is that all my friends playing basketball, we all saw this movie in 1992, and within a week, it was just tons and tons of white suburban kids talking like they were streetball guys in Venice. And it was the the most hilarious thing, because there's no context for that kind of culture, but we all thought we were going to appropriate it. So it's just these white kids all thinking we're black streetballers for the next six months.
1: Well, that's what I was going to say, was the other thing I was thinking of when you were talking about how of this it's time and place. This movie is, is how influential it was, you know, at the time that it came out, yo mama jokes were not a mainstream thing. And yeah. there's a huge, uh, one set of the trash talk in the middle. There is straight. Yo mama jokes back and forth for like three, four minutes. Yeah. And then, um, like the flipped up hats became a big thing after this. And like, um, I'm trying to think of a few other things. Like, so, Just going back to the idea of like a reboot, like all the things in it are now cliches, but they weren't when this movie came out.
0: I'm not sure I'd even heard a Yo Mama joke before that. And I'm just thinking about that when the minute you said that is that like three, three months after this movie came out in my high school yearbook, we got to write what we were going to do for the future. Like make your predictions of when you graduate and in 20 years, what your job's going to be. And I wrote mm-hmm. that I wanted to be a writer for Late Night with David Letterman. That was one of my, my goal. And I said, my top 10 list of the top 10 mama jokes will win on numerous awards. So apparently this movie, it influenced me so much, I was now basing my future career off of this movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it all played out.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That That is exactly <laughs> how my life turned out, yes. <laughs> yeah, but the other thing is that, 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 something we cannot overstate enough how influential this movie is and how, you know, of its time it is, is that this is what I always talk about. And this is, unless you grew up in this era, it's hard to really know this. The, when the 80s became the 90s, that's such mm-hmm. a distinct memory for me as a kid because the 80s was very much a, this white bread culture. Everything was kind of, you know, white suburban stuff. And then in the 90s, all of a sudden you had like In Living Color, you had rap music, White Man Can't Jump is right there in that, like, it started getting a little more urbanization, like a little more blackness into pop culture, and it was like, that was the coolest thing ever, like, everybody I knew loved In Living Color, they loved, you know, MC Hammer, even Vanilla Ice, begrudgingly, you'd kind of like him, but like, this movie is just a perfect time capsule of what that time looks like.
1: Yeah, and it's right when it shifted, like 92 is really when, like, right there.
0: Yeah. One would say as Michael Jackson was getting less black, culture was getting more black.
1: (laughs) That is, that is literally correct.
0: Yeah. It's a litmus test (laughs) I like to use right there. Okay. So before we delve into the intricacies of white man can't jump and why it's so unique and special, I want to talk about a couple things. The, the casting is a big deal in this movie. And that's one thing that Roger Ebert really loved about this movie. He's like, you know, I'm not sure I've ever seen a movie where the writer knew the characters as well as this movie. Like, you he knew exactly who Gloria was. He knew who Sidney was. He knew who Billy was. They're all perfectly cast. And like, I, I want to hear your thoughts on that. What do you think of the casting and the three main stars of this movie?
1: Well, yeah, so I did, um, some digging into the background on the casting and, and no one was the original choice that wow. they had, which is so interesting, um, Because basically, like the studio loved the idea so much and knew it was very bankable that they wanted to attach the biggest names they could to it. Uh So they wanted uh, Denzel Washington for Sidney Dean. They wanted Keanu Reeves for Woody Woody Harrelson for Billy Hoyle. Okay. And they wanted uh, white women originally for Gloria. Who who is it that they originally had? Um, I'm trying to pull it up here. So, but, but it was the chemistry among these things. Like what they were talking about was that they had the time to really screen test different, uh, casting options together. And they knew like Wesley, they figured that out pretty quickly because like Denzel Washington's schedule was off with Malcolm X, which he was making at the time. And, um, and then, so then they like saw the chemistry with Woody Harrelson and they were like, this is the guy and Woody, it was like perfect timing for him because he was just, like desperately trying to get out of his cheers Mm typecasting. And then uh, Rosie Perez was kind of the similar thing, like just trying to break through. And, uh, and she read it and she was like, this is the role for me. And she just committed to it in the audition and, and played so perfectly with the other two that they had to, this, this is Gloria now.
0: Now, now, was she an actress before this? I know for people who don't know, she was in In Living Color. She was like a, the choreographer of the Fly, the, the Fly Girls. Right. And then she was in, what was the Spike Lee one? That she,
1: the, she was in Do the Right Thing.
0: Okay, so she was already an yeah. established actress.
1: So, yeah, she was in that, but it was like an indie thing, and this was her next project after that. Okay. which Which I think is three years later, so she had a bit of a dry spell.
0: And I will say, she is without question the most polarizing person in this movie. Like, right. I, I can't count the number of people I know who hate this movie because they can't stand Rosie Perez. And then yeah. there's other people like me that, like, I can't picture anybody else in that role but Rosie She's Perez. She's so
1: good. She's so good. And, like, one of the other things I'm thinking, I was thinking about with the movie is uh, Ron Shelton, the director. Mm-hmm. Uh, his prior film was Bull Durham. Yes. And so I think of Rosie Perez in the Susan Sarandon spot as like the woman who's hyper intellectual, who's kind of like inspiring and pushing the guy to better himself. And and I love I I just love thinking of her as this movie's Susan Sarandon, because she's so different in her voice, in her delivery and everything about her. But she's brilliant. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Bull Durham, and that's a very important thing that's going to come up in this podcast. For people who don't know the history, Bull Durham, written by this guy, Ron Shelton, and I believe he directed it as well. Right, right. And then this is his follow-up movie, and they are very similar movies. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've always argued that Bull Durham's not really a baseball movie. I would argue that this isn't really a basketball movie, but they're very similar, and like you said, what genre would this fit in? I'm not entirely sure what genre Bull Durham fits in either, so it's kind of a Ron Mm -hmm. Shelton thing.
1: Right right it's the ron shelton conundrum
0: yes Mm -hmm. all right and then one more star i want to talk about because again i cannot picture anybody else in these three roles i'm not even going to get into keanu reeves as billy hoyle i cannot picture that (laughs) in a million
1: years (laughs) well they said they said he was doing so many things well but he was just awful on the basketball court like he was all elbows all clumsiness which like thinking forward to the matrix anyway like that he figured something out.
0: Yeah. Anyway. I was going to say, ironically, Keanu Reeves was not the chosen one. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Thank you. <laughs> I like a co-host that will provide me with room shots.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my soundboard.
0: Yes. All right, but yeah. the, the star I want to talk about is Woody Harrelson. And mm-hmm. I just have to talk about this because this is something that's kind of been forgotten over history, is what an amazing thing it is that Woody Harrelson even became a movie star at all. Right. Because up until this movie, he was Woody from Cheers. And if people have never seen Cheers, Woody was, you know, the Hayseed, the Midwest guy, like you said, corn fed. Like yeah. that's what Woody Harrelson was, and he was so good at that role that nobody thought he could play any other role ever. He was mm-hmm. so typecast. And then this movie comes along, and not only is he a different role, but they managed to work in the whole Woody thing as part of his hustle. So it's like yeah. so perfect for a wood a an actor like Woody Harrelson at that point in his career, like they totally subverted what you thought he was going to be, and that becomes part of his character. It's like he could not have asked for a better movie to make the transition or the, he could not have asked for a better role to make the transition into movies.
1: I had the exact same thing written down about how they used the like Woody persona
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, as the jumping off point for his hustle. Because um, I think that's so brilliant. Like, it's almost like they're kind of sending a message to the audience mm-hmm. in that moment. Like, you think he's just this chump. He's this bumbling guy. He's out of place. Uh, but he knows exactly what he's doing.
0: Yeah, and it's crazy because again, that's been lost to history. That I knew so many people that just laughed when they saw this movie, the trailer when it first was being uh, in, reviewed and stuff, and like first mm-hmm. getting advertised. Like Woody Harrelson in the movie, and he's not playing Woody. Yeah, I don't think so.
1: And not just that, but he's playing like theoretically like a tough
0: guy. Yeah, like, he's a tough know? guy. <laughs> and what's funny is that Woody Harrelson in real life is much closer to this than he was to Woody the bartender. Yeah. And that's, that's something I did. Yeah. He's like, I read that too, is that he was like really good at basketball. He was like a basketball star in college. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Shooting specifically. He's like a great shooter, which is funny because I hate his form.
0: (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) We're going to critique Billy Hoyle. I'm not sure we should be doing that.
1: I mean, not critiquing. I'm just like, I I don't know. It, it, you shouldn't learn lessons from it. That's all (laughs) I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, we've done a lot, a lot of preamble here, and, but there's so much to go into in this movie. But again, that's the one yep. thing that I just want to get through to people, that this is not really a basketball movie. And I've heard people say, oh, I didn't want to see it because I don't like sports movies. And I'm like, yeah. just forget that. Don't even go into it with that mindset. If you've never seen this, it's just so fantastic and such a little time capsule of an era of time that I cannot imagine a person would not like this movie. Even, even your parents, Adi.
1: Yes, no, they loved it. They loved it.
0: (laughs) Oh, those sex scenes were fantastic. They loved it.
1: I mean, they probably did, which is very uncomfortable for me to think about still. Even though I know they're people.
0: They're they're people just like the rest of us, you know, and you wouldn't be here without that. I hope you realize that.
1: That's right. That's right. Without the way that scene makes them feel.
0: (laughs) All right. So we're going to (laughs) delve into the movie here and again. It's a movie that's kind of about basketball, but it's more about, and I wrote five words here. It's about perceptions it's about race it's about money it's about winning and it's about losing mm-hmm. anything else mm-hmm. i left out there
1: that's pretty good
0: all right oh i, I guess think that's good listening versus hearing that's in there as well there's a lot there's a lot of topics <laughs> although here.
1: that's that's like kind of just a subset of race I think. <laughs> all right
0: yeah. yeah i'm sure we'll get into the racial discussion this won't be uncomfortable at all
1: no no <laughs> and we're Totally qualified experts.
0: Exactly, yeah. With a title like White Men Can't Jump, they throw it right in your face to start this movie.
1: Yeah, which apparently – so that was – just sorry, one quick aside. Um, That was already a catchphrase that was out and around at the time, so I was only nine. I did not know it then. I didn't know it until the movie, but I was reading in the oral history that that was like a debate – Uh, in among the production team of of whether to ultimately title it that and include that line when they were like it's too perfect it fits this thing a hundred percent like we can fit it in organically into the movie so they did it
0: i I would just say my back history on that is that i played i lived in maybe the most overwhelmingly white place in the country the seattle suburbs and Mm. every kid i played with was white and none of them could touch rim let alone dunk so there's probably something to that
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, ac- the accuracy of the line.
0: Yes. Although, did you hear about the translation of the title, just to go on one more aside? I did not. In that, in a lot of European countries, they didn't like the title because it didn't mean, like, white man can't jump, they don't really get that thing. And so they would kind of translate it to white man can't score. And the way it actually came out in the translation in a lot of European countries is white man can't put it in so which is even worse than white men can't jump so there there you go so in european countries it's all about white men not being able to put it in
1: right (laughs) that's loaded
0: yeah i don't know if your parents are taking you to that one that's a porn movie
1: (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, yeah that one that one i'm i have to wait until the internet
0: (laughs) yes thank god for the internet kids love the internet (laughs) yeah all right so here we go we open with white men can't jump and this has, I will have to say, out of all the movies on staff picks, this has gotta be one of the greatest opening scenes of a movie I've done so far. Like
1: It's so perfect.
0: Yeah, it's like the encapsulates the entire movie in fifteen minutes of just perfection.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. It's a it it could have been a short, honestly. It's I like the rest of the movie, but like that fifteen minutes in and of itself is Perfect. It's the movie.
0: I always kind of forget there's a movie after that. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. So from the 20th Century Fox, uh, they remixed it, which was not a normal thing back then at all to mess with the uh, the opening title from the production company. So they did a remix of the 20th century Fox theme uh, with a hip hop beat Ah. to immediately start the mood. Literally the first thing that happens. All right.
0: That's letting you know right off the bat, we're going to urbanize this movie a little bit. This is not what you're used to seeing in a movie. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here we go. This is set in Venice, California on the very famous Venice street courts. And I know you've said you've been there once, right?
1: Yeah. I think I was like 17. So yeah, it was a little wild, but yeah, it's gorgeous there and it looks exactly the same because they shot it on location.
0: Yeah. And I live in LA. I live a little bit in the inland empire, but I've been out to Venice many, many times. And yeah, if you've seen the movie, that's exactly what it looks like. It's just a boardwalk and it's just guys playing basketball and there's all these courts and then the beach. And then there's a, uh, weightlifting, like a little muscle, it's called muscle beach. There's a little weightlifting section where people just stand out there in the sun and like pump iron and show off and, a lot of people don't know that's where Arnold Schwarzenegger first became famous. He would sit there on the beach mm-hmm. and work out. So it's a very iconic place, and there's a couple of movies that have been set there. But, yeah, this is our setting, and Woody Harrelson basically just was walking down the street, and he sees these uh, three guys. What are they, the Venice Beach Boys, these a cappella singers?
1: Right, yeah, who I think are real. Yeah. Uh, I didn't – yeah. Uh, and, and they're just – and he walks up, and he's listening to them. And they're singing uh, – what is it, uh, Closer Walk With Thee? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and at the end he gives them some applause and they have, uh, some back and forth, uh, and then, uh, they expect a tip and he jokes and pretends to give them a 50 (laughs) and then gives them a five, I think, I think either a a five or a one. And, uh, they, uh, it's a dick move, (laughs) which is a bad way to make your entrance. (laughs)
0: It's a good intro to Woody. He is kind of a dick. Yep. Yeah, this is where we learn that these are the famous Venice streetball courts for the best basketball players around the world come to just show off. And again, it's a real thing. Go down there any day and you can see these guys playing basketball. And Woody basically says, you know, this is, there was these two legends. This is uh, the duck and, uh, wait... The king and the duck, they were the two that ruled these courts. And he's like, those guys were the best ever, but now I'm the best. So it's basically he's making his announcement, and he's just going to wait around until the street ball guys show up later that day. And, oh, a lot of fun is going to have happen now.
1: I have this other line that he says to them right as he's about to leave. He says, my father was a preacher. I love this shit. Keep singing and just walks away. <laughs> it's like, what an asshole. <laughs> yes. What an asshole. But that's exactly what he needs to do is about perception. It's about posturing. And, and so he's, he's getting himself in the mood to talk himself up.
0: Yeah. So. And that is a running theme throughout this movie that we'll hear a lot about perception and how you come off, and it will become a running argument between Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes whether it's better or whether it's more important to look good and lose or look bad and win. And this will tie into all sorts of other things: black versus white, race. I mean, just uh, success in life in general. That, but that's the general thing here. It's all about perception, and this Woody will use this as a great advantage here in the opening scene.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So right. So he's there before any of the games have started and he drops his duffel bag and he lies down and he waits for the games to start and then he's just this country bumpkin wearing like sweatpants and a, a tie eyed hat sitting by the side of the courts while other people play, just waiting for his moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so Woody again, it's mostly black guys playing basketball courts and that's exactly what it looks like if you go there. And Woody stands out. And you see, he's got the hat on backwards, which was the ultimate sign of being the white dork back then. He's got the baggy yep. pants and he's just sitting around watching all these guys play basketball. And this is where we are introduced to the wonderful world of street ball and and street language, I guess would be the best way, best mm-hmm. way to say it.
1: Mhm. Yeah, just trash talk, the dozens as they call it. Uh, do you know the dozens? I do not uh, know
0: the dozens. Yeah. Tell me. That's
1: it, essentially your Mama jokes and just like snaps. Uh, it's called playing the dozens. Um, and, uh, so yeah, like that first basketball montage, it's, it's Sydney and, and a bunch of other guys that he's playing with, many of whom we'll see throughout the movie. But, um, and, mm, they play basketball maybe t- 20% of the time and the rest of it's arguments <laughs> and trash talk. Yeah.
0: And there are some wonderful lines here and this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about like this stuff was so eye opening to like little white suburban kids in the early 90s late 80s like we'd never heard dialogue like this in a movie and again this would have been if you like were a streetball player and you'd like played on these courts this would be you'd like laugh at this movie knowingly like oh yeah that's exactly those the insults the mama jokes like um Potato sandwich eating motherfucker, which I'd never heard that line before. But that's a great line. Like I just remember trying to drop that line on somebody in the Mormon temple and like they're like, Do not swear on the Mormon temple, please. <laughs> yeah, it's just all this language and like yeah, for every one point on the court there's um, two minutes of trash talking and shoving each other and it's just it's yes. hilarious and it's so quotable.
1: Man, shut your anorexic, malnutrition, tapeworm, having Dick Gregory, diet, Bahamian soda, drinking ass up, leave me alone. That's about almost as uh, blue, as uh, as rough as it'll get.
0: <laughs> and you know, to someone like me, who's a budding young comedy writer, that's like poetry. I'm like, oh my god, I've seen the future of comedy, it's writing stuff like that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it's just one on top of another, on top of another, and a lot of this was freestyled. Like, a lot of it was written in the script, but uh, a lot of it, these guys just did off the cuff.
0: Yeah, and I will say for sure, that's one thing that really just jumps out at me when I watch this movie. I mean, I've seen this movie 20 times over the years, maybe more. The authenticity. Like, there's not one false note in this movie. Every background, player, character, actor, the dialogue— it all sounds exactly like the way these characters would would have said it in real life. It's just so amazing.
1: Yeah. yep. Yeah. Your mother is so poor. I saw her kicking the can down the street. I asked her, what are you doing? She said, we're moving. <laughs> yes.
0: And like you said, that sounds cliche now, but this was so fresh at the time, yeah. like so new.
1: No one had done this. And this is a huge part of street culture been around for, you know, hip hop culture since you know late 70s early 80s but this is the first time it's getting any kind of mainstream audience yes.
0: i can just i can just reminisce back to me and my friends in bellevue washington my white mormon friends saying hey we go going to sizzler like no one would have said that line until this <laughs> yes. movie yes <laughs> we go going to sizzler
1: did you did you guys end up going to sizzler because i've never been
0: i'm not sure we had a sizzler in bellevue i don't
1: think i don't think <laughs> I think it's like an LA thing. Maybe I don't
0: know. Yeah, no, we have them in LA, but I'm not entirely yeah. sure we knew what Sizzler was. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, so yeah, it's all these street. And you mentioned Sydney is like the best basketball player on the courts, and that's Sydney Dean, played by Wesley Snipes, just a fantastic actor. I, I'm a huge fan of Wesley Snipes. I think he's amazing in every movie he ever did. This is the one that really jumps out how good he is as Sydney, the street ball hustler. Although, like mm-hmm. you said, they wanted Denzel to play that role?
1: Yeah, they did. Wow, I mean... It, I mean, like, he was young enough at the time, but... Yeah.
0: yeah. He's kind of stoic. I mean, Denzel's very stoic and rigid and, like, tough. And Sydney mm-hmm. has to be a little more vulnerable and, like, uh,
1: volatile, I think would be the mm-hmm. right word. Yeah, and fun in a, in a way that I don't think Denzel comes off as. Yeah. He's just, like, magnetic and charismatic. Uh, Denzel's very charismatic, but in in more of like a grammy toss kind of way
0: mm-hmm. hmm. interesting okay so so yeah so sydney and the street ball guys are just playing and this is sydney's job and that's one thing that's would be hard to understand if you don't really understand this movie that people make money and make a living off doing this like playing these ball games and it's for mm-hmm. money and they're trying to hustle each other and it's just they're just trash talking so it's all about basically who's the big dog on the court and sydney is the big dog. It's like wesley right. snipes is unbeatable out there
1: right Right. You're playing these games either there are side bets going on and you take a cut of them or like you've got a a specific bet on an individual game. (laughs) And, and it's, it's all about playing with expectations so that people will want to challenge you who you know you can beat, but they think they can beat you. And you, and then you have to ramp up the bet on that specific game to, to get Uh, big enough payout
0: yeah there's a lot of long cons going on here where people are setting up hustles And this is what's the greatest thing about this movie is that, again, Woody, going into his Woody from chairs persona, is just sitting there looking like the biggest dork. And basically what happens is he just sits there all day and he knows eventually someone will ask him to play and he knows he's the best player there. So he's going to be able to hustle them because the perception that white guys can't play basketball, which Mm -hmm. would would admittedly probably be very strong around the Venice Beach Mm -hmm. courts. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Well, uh, so... um... Not to veer off too too far, but uh, into some stuff Ron Shelton said about you know the creation of the idea for the movie. He was playing in L.A. Uh, originally on the streets, but then there was an actual gunshot uh, on the court, so he switched to the Y. And um, but he was saying that there aren't many white guys, but there are, and it's total democracy. It's like once they know you can play, like you're you're there and you're playing, mm-hmm. like they're gonna give you give you flack for. Every cultural beat you miss, but as long as you can play, you're you're one of them.
0: Yeah, and that's true. I've always learned that about sports in general, with basketball in particular. Because yeah, with with, with white guys and, ba- and black guys playing against each other, there will always be the perception that the white guy sucks. But if again, if you can prove your your medal on the court and this really goes to any sport, like everybody's an equal the minute you know that they can play. It's really very democratic and it's really cool like that. But yeah, the (laughs) Woody at the Venice courts is like chumming for sharks. Like he's just Mm -hmm. sitting there and he knows it's going to happen. And eventually someone gets hurt in a game and has to leave. And so Bill, uh, Wesley Snipes is just walking around and talking. I'm the greatest. I'm the best player here. Give me any teammate, any teammate here. And I dog (laughs) all you guys, I'll dog all you fools. And like they say, how about the dorky white guy? He's like, oh, man, I don't want to take him. And again, this was
1: yeah, probably then,
0: exactly how it would play out in real life.
1: Well, and then uh, Billy leans into it and uh, he starts doing like his Jane Fonda stretch routine that he just takes forever for and looks like he's the oldest, least athletic person out there in addition to every assumption they have about him because he's white and uh, and and not he doesn't drop the character until the ball starts moving for an actual game.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so what happens is in the first round of the hustle, Woody ends up beating Wesley Snipes, and Wesley never loses. He's shocked that this dorky white boy has somehow beat him in basketball. He's like, yeah, you got lucky, you got lucky, and so now, like you said, Woody, now this is where Woody drops the character, where Billy Hoyle comes out, and it's like watching Woody Harrelson, the actor, transform into somebody else for the first time. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's he took off his mask and he's like, "All right, this is what I've got to give." And it's, it's so Sydney is so ticked off that he lost and lost the money in that bet mm-hmm. that he and he's so confident in himself that he wants to double down and do this shoot-off that's yeah. just like shoot from the same spot over and over again, each of them shooting until one of them misses and the other gets the money.
0: Yeah. And this is where Billy Hoyle—that's Woody's character's name. Although I have to point out, I love how uh, they always refer to him as Billy Ho. They can never figure Billy out Ho. the last syllable. Yeah, Billy Ho, Billy Ho. <laughs> so <laughs> Billy Either Ho that or Chump. Yeah, or Chump. Trump yeah. Is the
1: other name.
0: Slow white geeky Chump, or fucking yeah. geek is the other one. <laughs> geek
1: Chump. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so, yeah, Billy Hoyle now challenges Wesley Snipes to a shoot-off, and it's, like, in front of everybody in the Venice courts, and this is going to be a big, humiliating moment that Billy's going to beat Wesley Snipes in front of everybody, and it's just such an iconic scene where uh, – I'll give you the, the the honor on this one. Describe the scene to people who may have never seen it before.
1: Oh, man, I, I don't know if I can totally do it justice. I, do you have something in mind? Because I can give it to you.
0: <laughs> I, I, do whatever you have to. White men can put it in. Go for it.
1: <laughs> All right, what? Then I will put this in. Uh, so yeah, so Billy is in a different level of a con now, but he's still kind of conning. So he's like, I don't know. I don't know, you know, I'm not I'm not great at this spot. I wish I could have chosen my spot and then swishes the first one barely even any effort. And Sydney starts out trash talking like crazy. Drops his shot in. It's it's hard work looking this damn good. And then Billy's like, well, I never make two in a row. I've done it once or twice, but uh, you know, I'm feeling a little lucky. Drops another one in. Sydney's feeling great. Lots and lots of trash talk. Drops his in, and uh, we're going to sizzler. This that's when the sizzler lines come in, and then uh, Billy's like, I'll never get three, et cetera. Gets one in, and then it just keeps going. I think they get to six shots.
0: No, best of five.
1: Five. Best of best of five. Yeah, and um, and so Billy, at this point, it's clear can make this shot with his eyes closed, with a hand tied behind his back, is doing it. And the pressure is on Sidney. We don't totally know why yet. We'll find out the stakes in his life later.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and But he and he's also borrowing some money from his friend uh, to do this bet. And you just watch the pressure get to him, and he just barely misses his shot. Oh.
0: Terrible. Humiliated. He was beaten by the white chump on his home court. And what's great is right before the last shot, before Wesley Snipes tanks that last shot, like Woody's right in his face taunting him now. Like, That's right. You know, yeah, you know, if you missed the shot, Sidney, you've been beaten not once, but twice by a slow, white, geeky chump. Yes. And then he just under his breath. He's like, I've hustled a hell of a lot better players than you before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's good. like the first 20 minutes of this movie is so fantastic. Woody walks in there, makes fools out of every single guy on the Venice court and walks off. And again, you kind of think that's the whole movie. Oh, the white guy hustled the black guys and showed that he's not he's not what they thought he was, but there's going to be a lot of back and forth and so we're going to start going cons on cons on top of cons from here on out.
1: Very inception from now on. Yeah. It's con conception.
0: <laughs> it's the inception of basketball movies one movie. <laughs>
1: that's
0: we found the genre. There you go. It's sci-fi <laughs> slash hoops. Right. <laughs> All right. So Billy has just hustled every guy on the Venice Street courts and just walked off. And he really is the best basketball player around. And again, no white guy would ever get the credit for that. And so he has shocked everyone. And he goes home to his girlfriend's house. And now we learn the sad reality of Billy Hoyle's life. It's not mm. quite as glamorous as you mm. think it would be. Mm-hmm.
1: He lives in a motel uh, <laughs> with his girlfriend who sits around all day reading the 1991 World Almanac, uh, studying for a shot at Jeopardy that uh, we're led to believe is probably never going to happen uh, and uh, yeah they just they have one room and a bathroom and it's not clear uh, like how much stuff they
0: even own <laughs> Let's talk about Gloria as a character for a second, because again, so polarizing, but so intricate and integral to this movie. Um, First off, I just want to say Gloria is played by Rosie Perez, and I will try not to do an impression of Rosie Perez, although I'm sure we'll lapse into one at some time. One of the most distinct voices in the history of movies. Like, you know her. If she's talking in a movie, you will hear it and you will recognize her. But she's so good in this just because she's so authentic, and she's like this Puerto Rican former disco queen who basically just <laughs> yeah, she just reads the almanac, and her whole life is she wants to go on Jeopardy. That's her entire life career goal, and she just reads the almanac and assumes they're going to call her because ostensibly she's set in an application, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yes. I, so, I know the actual Jeopardy application process, and it's different. Like, you have to try out. But anyway.
0: They don't just uh, call ran- randomly call people in motel rooms.
1: Right. That's oddly enough. Maybe they did that up till 1993, <laughs> and that's why I don't know about it.
0: Did Gloria break the system?
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> And obviously she knew the leaked category. Shit, spoilers.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but, uh, okay, we'll get to the spoiler in a minute. There's very some very fun Jeopardy stuff in this movie. But yeah, so not only is their life sad, they live in this cheap little piss motel, but like they're being followed by a bunch of lone sharks, the Stooky Brothers or Stoochie Brothers?
1: Stoo- I, so I think they're actually Stoochies, and I think it's part of Gloria's charm that she mispronounces them as Stookies.
0: Stooky. Yeah, okay. So yeah, Rosie Perez, there's certain words she can say and can't say. And I, I don't I don't know if that's Gloria or it's that Rosie Perez herself where she just blows the line. She calls yeah. the Stucci Brothers the Stooky Brothers. Yeah. The Stooky Brothers
1: and then she's so excited while she's talking about them. Ah she's great
0: (laughs) yeah so apparently they owe they owe eight thousand dollars to uh some some gamblers that many years ago billy hoyle was supposed to throw a basketball tournament and he didn't do it because they said he was a chump so he won the game instead because billy's got anger management issues this will come up over and over again in the movie he's not this cool customer on the basketball court at all times he's really bad with money he's very impulsive and he does not think things through
1: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. He is prideful as well and stubborn.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people, they just remember that opening scene with Billy fooling everybody, but Billy's quite the tragic character in this movie, and he does not have a happy ending either.
1: Right. Very much so.
0: It's really interesting where they go with him throughout the course of the movie.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that a lot about this movie. It's one of the things that makes it so unique. Yeah.
0: All right. So... We've met our major characters of the movie. We met Sydney, who's Wesley Snipes. We know Billy, who is Woody Harrelson. We know Gloria, who is uh, Rosie Perez, and now it's going to get interesting because uh, uh, the, uh, the, there's a knock at the door, and Woody goes out and answer it, and it's Sydney, it's Wesley Snipes, and basically it's really interesting because Sydney now drops all this slang and the street slang from before where we saw mm-hmm. it was a character, and he's like, mm-hmm. "Hey, we should go into business. That was really cool how you hustled me yeah. today."
1: Um, I've got a term for this too. This is code switching. Ah, Um, yeah. So fun fact, uh, my uh, first job out of college, I taught for two years in the Bronx uh, with um, a population that was uh, all non-white. It was um, some African-American kids, a lot of Dominican kids, a lot of Puerto Rican kids. But so I learned a lot of stuff as far as like the language of of what this is and so Wesley Snipes or Sydney right here is code switching so on the street he is this character he's with his people he's using all you know street uh, slang etc Ebonics and then now he's doing a business discussion with a white guy clicks into business American corporate talk
0: hmm, that's interesting Yeah,
1: and and you see it at another point in the movie too
0: Oh, yeah. You were basically the Billy Hoyle then at your job.
1: Yes. And like Billy Hoyle, I failed miserably.
0: <laughs> but yeah, that is interesting when he said we see this later in the movie, the code switching. Yeah. Wesley, is such a good actor. You can buy him as both these roles as like, you know, the streetball hustler and the very dedicated family man slash businessman. And he'll kind of ping pong between those characters throughout the movie.
1: Right. And but they're so different. And, but they're they're all Sydney it all comes together it all makes sense like he delivers it all in a way that is is one whole person but he is really switching uh so much about how he presents himself to the world
0: hmm Okay, so uh speaking of the presenting, we uh, they come to an agreement that there's a two on two tournament coming up soon and, and Wesley Snipes is like, you know, you're so good and I'm so good and they wouldn't see you coming for a second. Let's up this, this uh hustle a little bit and let's head out into the world and like let's 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 make some money and, and practice and get ready for this big tournament. I know a place we can go make some money. Let's go to like uh where's the first place they go? Like the South Central somewhere. There's a horrible neighborhood yeah. they're gonna go hustle some people.
1: Uh Crenshaw? Is Crenshaw their first one? Crenshaw,
0: the Crenshaw might be the first one, and then Watts is the second one. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And just for non-Los uh, Angelinos, I will say those are not places where you'd see a lot of white people showing up and hustling black guys on the street courts. They,
1: they are they're neighborhoods that would be called predominantly black, which is to say that they are black.
0: <laughs> yes. Woody would stand out like a sore thumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, so they go to Crenshaw for the first game, and this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie where they hustle Raymond. <laughs> this...
1: Raymond is amazing.
0: Now, you know Raymond is a former NBA player, right?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, what's his name, Marcus Johnson?
0: Marcus Johnson, yeah, I think he played for UCLA, and then he played in the NBA as well. But yeah, he's he's hilarious. Just this big, thug, scary guy. and they, uh... <laughs> A
1: broken man, kind of. Like, his character, my sense of the character is that, like, he – was a high school college basketball star or something like that, and then it just didn't pan out for him, so he turned into crime, and he's in and out of jail, and <laughs> he does not know how to solve his disagreements without violence.
0: So so you're saying what we need is a Raymond prequel where we learn the backstory of this broken character?
1: Yes, and it's going to be played by... um, It's the... Oh, shoot. Uh, childish Gambino.
0: Oh, yes. So Donald Glover is going to play Donald young Raymond. Donald
1: is going to be Raymond, and we find out that that's also Lando. <laughs>
0: wow, I had no idea. This really is Inception.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 part of the expanded Star Wars universe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, Raymond is just big, this big, big talking guy, loud guy, just kind of a. Like I said, thug. You, you hate to use that word thug, but there's no better word than thug to use, Raymond. He's just a big
1: mm-hmm. bruiser.
0: And Wesley goes, and they play some basketball. And it's the same old hustle we just saw before where Wesley's like, you know, I, I, I can beat you with the hand tied behind my back, Raymond. Pick anybody here, anybody on this court, and I'll, I'll be my teammate, and we'll beat any two of you. And so, of course, this is where we see Woody sitting there doing his stretches, right? He's doing his Jane Fonda stretches. God, again. He
1: loves the stretches. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's such a good character tick.
0: And how limber do you think he must be after all those stretches? Right.
1: Yeah, no, it makes him jump higher.
0: That's <laughs> what it is. Almost high enough. Yeah, almost high enough to put it in. <laughs> Whitman cannot. Yeah. So, this, this my personal favorite line in this movie, that I've been saying this for years, for like 25 years now, where they, they see Woody sitting there, and Woody, of course, has this dumbfounded look on his face, like he doesn't even know what basketball is, and they're like, hey chump you want to run and what he's like you mean play basketball <laughs> <Which> is, <that's laughs> no, like... play hockey <laughs> <laughs> yeah so Woody is picked to be wesley's and again this is all the con and there's a the five hundred dollars yeah. on the line and we get a great a great iconic scene where raymond has to go raise the money quickly
1: oh god yeah this is amazing so raymond uh needs to get the money for this bed because he's so sure that he's going to beat Sydney and this chump uh, so he goes to his car and I 100% every time I watched this at least you know for, for a while until I knew it thought he was going to get the money <laughs> but he's not no. he opens his glove box and he gets out a gun and then he puts a mask over his head and he goes into the convenience store right next door to the court he clearly plays at every day <laughs> And then he goes in and tries to hold up the guy, and he's like, and the, the guy behind the counter's like, Raven! <laughs> <laughs> and he just saves him. He just shaves him right there.
0: Yeah, it's great. Yeah, right, and apparently this is a thing. I read Ron Shelton gave an interview that this was how you knew a street ball game had reached its end when somebody goes to the, goes to the glove box. God. Yeah, so this was like a thing. If the, the game is devolved, someone was called for a foul when there wasn't a foul. He's going to go to his car to the glove box for his gun. Every, that means it's code for everybody run, the game is over.
1: Um, so, you know, uh, Ron Artest or uh, Meta World Peace? Yes, uh, the basketball player who was also on Celebrity Big Brother one. Um, he uh, had a similar story to this about uh, growing up uh, playing basketball in the streets of LA, uh, where instead someone went over to a table, snapped a wooden leg off of it, and impaled somebody with it. <laughs> wow! And he just dropped that in an interview one time post game, and everyone was like, "I guess, I guess that happened."
0: I will point out that never happened in the Mormon basketball games I played in.
1: Good to know. Good to know.
0: How about at the Jewish Community Center?
1: Not much. Not much. No, no. Just, just a couple people lost their contacts.
0: <laughs> Man, they were fitting the dog. You.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. That was the hustle. Was like, oh, he lost his contacts.
0: <laughs> He's going to the glove box. Everybody scramble. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. It's for saline solution.
0: <laughs> so that's where you keep it in the glove box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So anyway, so he, he fails the hold up, uh, and uh, but uh, is able to sell the gun for part of the money. So that's what they used to make the bet.
0: Yes. Yeah. So the hustle continues and Woody and Wesley end up beating this guy, Raymond, and Raymond's furious. Now he goes for his second gun and he's going to blow <laughs> everybody away and they flee. So basically, this is the great thing about Woody and Wesley's hustle is that it will always end with them fleeing the court for their lives because they just scammed the wrong person.
1: Yeah, which turns out to be everybody. Everybody is the wrong person.
0: (laughs) So they raise 500 bucks here and it's like a big deal because this is how, again, how Woody and Wesley make a living. They do this. They travel around and now they're a team. So they're like, this is like the Avengers of basketball hustling.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're a super squad, super friends and they and I really enjoy this uh, breakaway from this scene where they mm-hmm. jump the fence, Gloria's been sitting there in the car uh, studying the world Almanac, uh, and then they uh, you know make a beeline, make their great escape, and that transitions into this scene where you have the three of them uh, and starts like the for film's first race discussion. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. This is a really iconic one. It's very interesting. There's a lot going on in the scene where first off, they talk about how amazing this is they're able to hustle people and they compare themselves to, uh, the King and duck. Like these were two guys that used to run the courts and like, we could be the King and duck. Like we're going to be the Kings of, of LA. No one's going to see us coming. And this is where Woody, what he puts in the, the tape and it's like a uh, Jimi Hendrix, right? Yep. Because Everybody Woody wants is. to prove that he, he likes black music. And right. Sydney calls him out on it.
1: Yeah. I mean it's it's a pretty obvious first move. So maybe slow play that a little bit more, Billy. Uh yeah, he he calls him out. He's like you can't play this uh music because uh because uh I I bet you don't know anything about Jimmy and and Billy says, "Oh, well, I I listen to him all the time. I love his music." And he's like, "You listen, but you don't hear."
0: Yeah. Although they do point out, this is where the whole discussion of white people can actually hear Jimmy. Mm -hmm. And it will come up throughout this movie, listening versus hearing. And it's kind of interesting because it parallels how Woody never actually listens to his girlfriend. But... Mm -hmm. But then there's the whole thing where Gloria points out, you know, I know my Jeopardy. I know that Jimmy had a white drummer, and so it becomes, no way, there's no way he had a white, so yeah, lots of race discussion. And, stuff. <laughs> and I mean, his whole
1: rhythm section. Yeah,
0: you just see the tension. There's this underlying black and white tension throughout this yeah. whole movie. I mean, again, obviously, a movie called White Man Can't Jump. You think there may be some edgy race tension, but yeah, you see it bubbling yeah. to the surface here.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I mean, to get into the real world, like, Months after this, are the Rodney King riots in LA. Yeah. Uh, so it it is obviously right there under the surface, and it, the movie would have had no credibility if it didn't go there.
0: Yeah, that's that's I hadn't thought about that. The LA riots were April of ninety two. Like it would have been almost mm. exactly when this movie came out. Like very within yeah. a month. Yeah. Huh, yeah. That's interesting. I never would have put the two and two together, but yeah, they're very mm. similar.
1: I mean, it's it's a. You know, in LA history, it's like one of the biggest, you know, cultural touchstones. It's, you know, where were you when? It's like one of those things.
0: Hmm. Okay, well, now we get another little race discussion. And to me, this is the most interesting one in the movie because it will come up over and over again where, you know, Billy and and Sydney get in a little argument over, you know, basketball and if they can, if white people can hear black music. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, and then what's happened? Billy. Like Sydney compliments Gloria, and Billy takes offense. He gets all defensive. Yeah, and this is where you find out Billy's one big thing: he's impulsive and he just is jealous. He does not make good decisions. And Sydney's like, "Oh, look, I found your little weakness. That's good. We need to know each other's weaknesses when we're on the court." And this is where this is where Woody Harrelson says the line, and it's really interesting. And again, if people are not used to movies going into discussions like this anymore. But it was really interesting in the 90s because you could just kind of think about this where where Wes, where Woody Harrelson says, you know, the difference between black and white is that black players would rather look good and lose than look bad and win. Like you'd be horrified if you did what I do, mm. look so bad and win, but I just care about winning. So it's a big white and black thing that black people are more into the style points. And this will come into the movie, come up way – like many, many times in the future.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a really it, – I I thought about that phrase and like what it means and what the movie wants to take us to take from it Mm -hmm. uh, a whole lot, because I think it's really interesting. It's it's only Billy that keeps saying this over and over and over again. And it's like, what really is winning, Billy? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) You know, like you think you would rather look bad and win. And that's the choice you make. But you only do that on the court. Huh. Like you, you know, I, I I, think there are levels to it that that the movie wants us to go into.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, been, well it's followed it a lot. up. I was going to say it's followed up in the next scene where Billy and Gloria are talking. And we find out right then that just Billy is just not good with people. And that mm-hmm. Gloria is telling him things like I'm thirsty. And so he gets her water and she's like, no, Billy, mm-hmm. you're supposed to listen. You're supposed to sympathize. Don't try to solve my problems. And this is one of those things you get the sense that she's told him this many, many times over the years, and he just doesn't get it. And so, like mm. you said, Billy isn't winning. He doesn't win in life. He thinks he does, yeah. but he never does.
1: Yeah, no, he makes so many more wrong moves than right. Um, but before we move too far on, uh, I'd be remiss to not note that uh, when they dropped Sydney off at his place, did you catch what Sidney calls it?
0: Uh, he calls it the jungle at one point. And He's then he it?
1: calls it? And then he says, welcome to Trump Towers.
0: Oh, very topical.
1: Yeah, them them good old days when it was a lighthearted reference to throw into a movie. All
0: right. And we do learn this is there's a couple scenes here in the middle where we meet Billy and his relationship with his girlfriend, Gloria. We also meet Sidney and his relationship with his wife. And again, at home, he's a totally different man. He's like a loving family man. And we learn there's a lot of tension between him and his wife that she hates living in the ghetto. She hates these apartments. She's trying to get out. She wants to buy a house. So there's a lot of pressure on Sydney to leave this world. He's used to. And, you know, like, uh, what would be the right word? Uh, legitimize where become like a stay at home. Yeah. dad. And his wife gets a job, like get away from playing ball for a living, have a real job in a real house. So there's a lot of pressure on Sydney to leave this world.
1: Right, right. We're, we're finding out in you know, in Billy's introduction, we found his stakes like he's got this loan issue uh, holding over him. He's got Gloria who wants them to make it big. She's got dreams. And uh, and now we know Sydney's, which is they are a little more practical, and a little more real. Yeah, um, there's there's an actual kid. There's a, an actual home in a rough neighborhood that they want to get out of.
0: Yeah. And I kind of forgot until I watched the movie today how that leads into the next scene that Sidney's under a lot of pressure to make a lot of money to get his wife out of this dangerous area into a real house. And so this is where we go to the next scene where Woody and Wesley are going to hustle in Watts, which is one of the mm-hmm. worst areas you'd want to get you want to get in trouble in Watts. Mm-hmm. And they go mm-hmm. there, and it's the exact same hustle. Woody is the, you know, what's the exact phrase? The scraggly-looking motherfucker that they pick <laughs> him to be on Wesley's team. They try to, they try to hustle these guys in Watts, but... This one's for much more money. This one's for $1,700, and all of a sudden, this time they lose. They lose the hustle, and uh, Woody and all his money. if I
1: recall correctly, it's basically all Woody's money.
0: It's all Woody's. Yeah, Woody has basically taken Gloria's Jeopardy money plus the money that he hustled before, and yeah, it's all Woody's money, and basically they lose it all that day in uh, Watts.
1: Yeah, Sidney is looking off throughout the game. Like, he's mostly playing well, but he's not, like, taking open shots that he would have normally. He's trying to do a fancy pass and give it up instead, and he won't own it when he does. Their chemistry is different. It's all weird.
0: Yeah. Although, I have to say, another one of my underrated favorite lines in this movie is in this scene. And I just wrote it down because it makes me laugh every time. It's like they're yeah. betting for this money in Watts and all these black guys are standing around just watching and and so one guy has to hold the money for the bet. They have to pick, yeah. pick the person that they most rely that they most trust. And so this big fat guy says, I'll hold the money. I ain't going nowhere. And Wesley Snipes says, Yeah, he ain't going nowhere, baby. The bakery ain't open. <laughs> Such a fun little throwaway line. That really I forgot about it. Him. Him <laughs> that was great. Yeah. So so mm-hmm. Woody has lost all of his money on a hustle. And he goes home dejected to Gloria and, you know, she's been studying. This is where we should...
1: well, he, says, he says, I have to uh, go tell Gloria how I lost everything we have again yeah. and figure out where I'm going to sleep tonight. And then the sad saxophone comes on.
0: Yeah, but we get the sense that this has been a, a repeating uh, yeah. pattern in their life that Woody will always lose the money. He's so good at basketball and so good with his hustle, but he's going to do something dumb and lose it. And he's, he's done it again.
1: Right, and and he already knows the routine. I can't sleep at home. Like exactly, yeah.
0: So just a sad, the sad life of poor, poor Billy Ho. And he goes home, and although there's a great rod, uh, this will set up a great joke later in the movie. He goes home to tell Gloria that he lost the money, but before she gets the bad news, she's excited because she's been studying a very important question for her Jeopardy research. <laughs> What's that one?
1: Uh, it's uh, foods that start with the letter Q.
0: She has studied the, how many are there? I think she says there's nine or something.
1: So, yeah. So that's, I realize there's an inconsistency in the movie on it. At this point, she says, she, she just says, I learned a lot of foods that start with the letter Q. And then she says one of them. I think she says quince and she says, I got seven more. But then later in the movie, when Jeopardy comes up, uh, Billy leans over to Sydney and says, she knows seven of these.
0: Oh, well, you could say that's a plot hole, or you could say Billy just doesn't listen.
1: A hundred percent. No, Billy sucks.
0: Billy sucks.
1: <laughs> As a boyfriend.
0: That's right. We're calling you out, Billy Ho. <laughs>
1: get your get your shit together, Billy Ho. <laughs> yeah.
0: So Billy has to admit he's lost all the money, and he's he does not see the big picture here. And Gloria, who is clearly the smartest person in the movie, figures it out right away. She's like, Billy's like, you know, I don't know how we lost to those guys. Like, Sydney just wasn't hitting his shots. And we, like, I, we, I thought we had a good game, and we were better than them. We just lost. And she's like, you got hustled. And he's like, no way. Sydney wouldn't hustle me. We're friends. We're partners. And she's like, he hustled you. And Gloria, of course, says, her first instinct is, let's go ask for the money back. And so Billy's like, no, no, no. you, No, no. We never, ever asked for the money back. And she's like, why? And he's like, well, it's a guy thing. Guys know that you don't ask for the money back. And she's like, guys are stupid. Let's go ask. I'm going to get my money back now. And so this. what did, did anything else pop up in her discussion here?
1: Um, it, just that it flashed through my head like as a kid growing up, this is like – You get bullied and you lose your five dollars for lunch or whatever. And your parents then go over to the house of the kid who bullied you. And the parents are all going to sort it out. And like, that's the most mortifying thing about it. It's like like not not that you lost it. It's it's that, you know, in this situation that the girlfriend got involved. He's he's just totally emasculated by it.
0: (laughs) Although she does have some good life advice here. And this is actually the underlying message of the movie. Again, this isn't really a basketball movie. It's about life. Sometimes, Billy, sometimes when you lose, you actually win. And sometimes when you win, you
1: actually lose. And sometimes when you win or lose, you actually tie. And sometimes when you tie, you actually win or lose. You see, winning and losing is one big organic globule from which one extracts what one needs.
0: That's actually a really good quote.
1: Yeah, and Billy's response I'm fucked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. They speak different languages. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. So she knows there's no such thing as winning or losing. There's only life lessons. You must learn from every lesson. and This is a good one that even though you lost the money, we'll win in the end because we'll, we'll, we'll learn a greater understanding of what, what a failure you are, Billy.
1: Mm, a, a great useful lesson to learn again.
0: So they get on a bus and they head to Sydney's house to protest that Sydney hustled his buddy. And Woody is going crazy because, and of course only an Angelino would understand this, we're taking a bus into Crenshaw at night. He's like, yep. white people are not allowed in Crenshaw at night. This is the worst idea ever. And Gloria has no fear, probably because she's not a white person. She doesn't care. She's like, I'm and fine. And also because
1: she's so confident. Yeah. She's just, she's got a strength of her convictions behind her.
0: Yes. So they go up, and this is where we, Gloria meets Mrs. Dean, and they hash out the ethics of hustling if you're allowed to hustle your partner, and like are there, there's ethics in hustling, there's rules, and the two women hash <laughs> it out. And meanwhile, Billy's in the living room looking all ashamed that the black guys are just taunting him, that just they're like, "Why are you here, Billy? Your girlfriend dragged you over here?" <laughs> and they're like arguing, and what, I think Wesley has a line here, these are the rules of the street, Billy. You either smoke or you get smoked. You got smoked.
1: Mm -hmm. And in the other scene, my other – one of my favorite lines is happening where uh, Gloria says, teammates can't hustle each other. And Sydney's wife says, why not? And she says, it's not autistic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So much great dialogue in this movie. (laughs) And the women eventually hash it out, and the men – there's a little cute scene here where the men are in the other room fighting over the rules of ethics and if this was cool, but they all get distracted by at one point by the basketball game and they cheer for the Lakers for one brief moment where they're all united and then they go back to fighting again.
1: Yep, yep, yep. On board on James Worthy.
0: Yes. <laughs> mm. So so the women decide, the smartest people in the movie, the women decide, well, okay, this will end poorly if we let you guys fight. So we'll just figure out a way to work this together. And they say, basically, Sydney, you and Billy are going to get back together, and you're going to go into that two-on-two tournament, and you're going to win, and you're going to make up for all this BS. And what does the mom say, or the, Mrs. Dean say? She says, you're going to kiss, make up, or do whatever it is that you do. And the guy's are like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. No, and then immediately cut to the two-on-two tournament.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad they just jumped over to it. And the two-on-two tournament is such a great setup. (laughs) Uh, Like, kind of just like the beginning of the movie. Like, a really great, like, character, like, uh, establishing shots for where it's happening. Like, the guy doing tricks on the street and, like, all the little families there having fun. Blah, blah, blah. The tournament is being sponsored by uh, Coalition of American Corporations. (laughs) You know that famous organization, COAC. Uh, And it is called the Brotherhood Tournament. And their logo is a black hand and a white hand (laughs) holding each other.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny because this movie is notorious for how much language it has. And my wife has always said the same thing. This is the one movie. Do not play this movie when we have little kids watching in the background. But everyone thinks it's that first scene that has all the language. No, it's this scene. This is the one that has so much language. And like you said i gotta I gotta go restate what you just said the this is like this these white corporate guys have come down to the ghetto and they want to put together a tournament to show you know white and youth together in mean, urbanization we can all be yeah. friends and it's like they I think have, it's
1: a photo up they think it's yeah, a photo yeah
0: op they have these. no clue what they're walking into these old white yeah. businessmen and sponsors, and it's just yeah. these black guys screaming and shoving and shouting f words at each other the entire tournament, and these sponsors looking progressively more and more horrified
1: right. Right. And just like, I mean, cutting forward, but like fucking it out of there as fast as they absolutely can <laughs> once it's done <laughs> and never holding it again. <laughs> they say, we hope to do this many more years. We know it's not going to happen.
0: They are getting the hell out of the black area town as fast as they can,
1: <laughs> which is also funny, like the. um when they're doing their introduction speech about brotherhood and unity and blah, blah, blah it cuts over to just random people who are n- not part of the rest of the movie, like ball ballplayers. Uh-huh. Uh, just saying, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: yeah. It's so funny. Just watching these, these old out of touch white guys wandering into the world. They have no business. Yes. being <laughs> It's great.
1: Just spewing some <laughs> garbage. <laughs>
0: yeah. So if this tournament, the big two, players are this team called Flight and Willie. Flight and Willie are the main guys, and they're the ones that Wesley and Woody are going to have to beat to win this prize, and this is, this is big money. This is $5,000 for the top team in this tournament, and Woody decides he's going to start heckling, because he's seen the black players do it, that I'm going to start doing that, because it's better to look good and lose than look bad and win, so I'm just going to start spewing my mouth off, and he... Just a about a... claims to have a big
1: plan to this i yeah. don't, don't think he did he
0: doesn't it's like just a 10 minute montage of woody spewing insults at people and most of them are hilarious
1: they're so good <laughs> they're so good well do i have them yeah do you have Where some written down
0: here i have one uh... Uh,
1: uh i have to do a little bit of digging if you've got any
0: Okay, so there's one where this guy misses a couple shots, and Woody's like, Bricks, what is this, a Mason's convention? I know what we should do. Take all these bricks you've thrown up, and we'll build a shelter for the homeless so your mother will have a place to stay.
1: <sighs> oh, layers.
0: Another one. I looked up basketball player in the dictionary, and it says, not you. <laughs>
1: That's, like, beautiful in its simplicity. Yeah. I like that.
0: <laughs> but it's great. This tournament is great because it's, like, the the first scene of the movie where every game is these two-on-two, two, you know, tournaments, two guys against two guys. And it's, like, one point and then two minutes of shoving and insulting. And then one point and two minutes of sho- it's just – it's so hardcore and it looks so authentic. And, like, you can see why the sponsors are just horrified that they've put this tournament together. And they guess Woody just never shuts up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's – it's – it like this scene in and of itself is like a magnum opus, <laughs> just Billy, just laying out like solid, like 10 minutes of material.
0: And not only that, but he's embarrassing his teammate.
1: That's yes, we get. So this is what happens is that it uh amps up their, or their relationship and, and. And he keeps telling him to to just stop. You're embarrassing us. You don't know what you're doing. You are pissing off our competition. And Billy's like, that's that's what I need. These guys look like they're tightly wound, and they're the type that'll play bad when they're angry. And let me guess, you're the type that plays well when you're angry. And da da da, da. What does he say? I'm in the fucking zone. Yeah. <laughs> Which they then later uh, put on, uh, Nike put on some shoes.
0: Oh, they put this, the, we are in the fucking zone?
1: Yeah, they made like a like a short run, uh, we're on, I'm, uh, we're, I'm in the fucking zone, uh, pumps. Or er, so that was Reebok. must've been Reebok. Yeah.
0: I don't think my parents would have bought me those shoes.
1: I'm in the fucking zone. Really?
0: <laughs> they would not be allowed in the Mormon temple. Yeah. That, just tell
1: them. Yeah. You got to tell them that's what the Mormon temple is called. It's called the fucking zone.
0: <laughs> I mean, they have tons of kids, mom. That's it, it's, yeah. logistically. That's how it works. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Right.
1: No, they're trying to make us pair together. It's the fucking zone. <laughs> you gotta stay in you gotta stay in the community
0: (laughs) you just got my podcast banned in utah thank you Uh,
1: oh no we lost that one listener i know
0: it's terrible all right so but there's a good quote here where they're talking about you know black people versus white people how they gear themselves up for games how they psych each other out and wesley even has a good line here he's like. This is not about black and white. It's about money. It's about green. We're here to make money. Yeah. Shut up. And this
1: is really high stakes for him. That's the thing that comes through is like uh, Sydney's is so much more serious about life. Like he, he needs this stuff. He cares about his wife and kid, you know, and uh, and Billy's all about the, the thrill of the hustle.
0: Yeah, the glory. He wants the glory. He doesn't think right. big picture. He right. just has to win whatever cost. And the spoiler, I want want to zoom forward because we're quite long into this podcast and we're not even to jeopardy yet. Here, But uh, yeah, so to spoil spoil it for you, Billy and Sydney win the tournament and they win the $5,000, but the last shot of the game, Woody has an open dunk, but he doesn't take it. He lays it up instead. And this will come in very handy in the next scene.
1: So, right. So the big, so they're driving home after it, celebrating their wins. They've got their, their statue, their trophy. And, uh, Billy completely unprompted says, you know, you know, I can dunk, right? <laughs> and Sydney's like, Oh yeah, I don't, I don't care. I believe you. Sure. Whatever. Like I wouldn't have said anything. And you know, I'm, I understand you make the choice, you know, the shot that it worked, got us in, got us the win. And that's not enough for Billy. <laughs> he just needs to, he, he needs to prove this. And this is the moment where, like, my heart breaks for Billy, where I, like, realize how bad (laughs) he has this, like, gambling compulsion.
0: Yeah, he's more broken than even Raymond. Yeah, so Billy just decides on the spot he's going to bet his half of the money. And, again, they just won $5,000. They are the best basketball players in L.A. They're big shots. And Billy's going to throw it all away just to prove to Sydney that he can dunk a basketball.
1: And it's completely unprompted. Sydney's like, don't do this. Take this money home. Get a dress for Gloria. Like, and when he's like, no, you're doing this. bet," and he, he actually like pushes him like he's brings up race. I forget exactly what the line is, but he says some, he brings up the black man wants to look good. First win second kind of thing again, to get under Sidney's skin, to get him to take the bet.
0: Now, my wife had a question about this scene here. Hmm. All right, so Billy and Sydney just played in the biggest basketball tournament in their lives, and they were probably going to win. Why was Gloria not there at the tournament watching them? It's a fine question. I know, because I'll add the second part to that. She knows how bad Woody is with money, like Billy Hoyle is with money. If she's not there, he's going to do something dumb afterwards and bet it and lose it. Why is she not there policing this?
1: Well, I think we have evidence from a later plot point that Gloria, like, wants him to almost make his own mistakes and to uh. ultimately stop making them, I think. I, that's my only theory, especially as far as the money goes. But she had nothing else important to do that day. She could have been there. She <laughs> definitely could have been there. If for nothing else, like, she loves this guy, you know, and this is a big tournament for him. But
0: Well, she had to read, like, 12 possible uses for riboflavin. That was, that was her mission for the right.
1: day. <laughs> I only got seven.
0: Yeah, she only got seven, and Billy thought she knew all 12. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, there's a basketball hoop, and they find it, and, and Woody says, I'll bet all my money that I can dunk, and Wesley's like, don't do this. And sure enough, Billy is not able to dunk a ball, and this is where we get the line. Even without where stretching. Wesley says,
1: Even without
0: stretch. Without stretch, That was it. He needed to stretch. Yeah. That was the difference. Yeah. yeah, but this is where Wesley says, White men can't jump. It's just a fact. Don't even bother. But Wesley, Woody can't take it. And he misses the dunks. And he loses all his money. And this is how, this is what will end up finally ruining the relationship with Billy and Gloria. She's going to dump him over this.
1: Yeah. So So he gets home. He's, I don't even know what money he has, but on his walk home, buys her this,
0: heinous heinous
1: stress <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah where did he
1: get that money i don't know i don't know <laughs> uh but did he
0: like hold up a prostitute
1: <laughs> yeah or right he probably ran a whole basketball hustle on the way home uh to get that so <laughs> some some night hoops night we be night hooping baby um that's the song they would have played in the background during the montage <laughs> okay. um you didn't see it okay uh And, um, so, so he walks in and she says, one of my favorite lines, which is, uh, the pizza's cold and the wine is warm, (laughs) which makes me think like, did she want this red wine cold? That's gross. Um, but, um, yeah. So then it devolves super quickly and they're arguing. She realizes that he's lost everything again and she is so mad and she starts packing up her stuff and going out and she is crying but she's also lecturing him the whole time and she's got her thumb out trying to hitchhike for a car and then looks back and says billy your your rug's on fire
0: (laughs) your carpet's on fire yeah the wine's warm and the carpet's on fire your carpet's on fire
1: oh that's not good
0: (laughs) I suckered you into doing an impression of her. Yeah, a
1: lot of squeals, <laughs> a lot of squeals turns into like a, I don't know, like a baby falsetto. Um, But uh, yeah, so she gets into a truck with a very, very creepy looking man. <laughs> this is never explored, <laughs> but I want to know a lot about what happened that night. <laughs> you want his backstory too? Is Donald
0: Glover going to play him also?
1: I mean, he's very talented.
0: Yeah, he's gonna play old white guys. That's he's very talented,
1: <laughs> uh, which turned out to be Darth Vader.
0: Spoiler. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> okay, so Billy has lost everything. He's lost all his money. Uh, he's lost Gloria. The Stookie brothers come up again and they basically remind him, you have one week and to give us this money or we're gonna kill you. So Billy is on his, his last, uh, his last limb here. He's basically desperate. So he runs back to Sydney and he finds Sydney who has his day job. He's like a, he sells tiles for houses, right? Something like that.
1: Yeah, I I think that's one of it. That's probably the construction job because he lists like a few at one point. Mm -hmm. But one of them is the construction job. So he's like selling tiles to this guy.
0: Okay, so Sydney is basically all five village people.
1: Exactly. That's... (laughs) That's...
0: (laughs) Also an Indian chief.
1: (laughs) That's a perfect joke. I've got nothing else to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: All right. Thank you. Alright, so I'm just gonna skip through here to get to the Jeopardy part. So basically Billy goes to Sydney and says, Please help me. I've lost everything. I need your help and Sydney's like, I wanna tell you to just piss off, but I kinda of like you. So I I will do one favor for you. I got a friend who works security on the Jeopardy lot. Let's go talk to him, blah, blah, blah. If you can solve the riddle or if solve a riddle, you can pass his test and maybe he'll let you glory onto the lot. So please explain to me how this is not how Jeopardy casting works.
1: Um, I mean, when you put it that way, when you put it in those terms, you, it seems airtight.
0: Oh, so you had to sink about like a half court shot to make it on the show?
1: Well, so I've never tried out, but my dad did try out to get on Jeopardy. And uh, yeah, it's a couple rounds of trivia quizzes. <laughs> the shocker <laughs> you go into a room and you have to do trivia quickly
0: there's not a physical challenge I would assume it'd be like Double Dare there's a physical challenge involving slime at some point
1: there's a, there's a giant tongue that you have to dive through to grab a uh, a flag <laughs> yeah
0: so, to make a long story short, this, this security guard, you know, Woody passes the test, he makes this basketball shot, and Gloria is suddenly allowed to go on Jeopardy, and we cut to immediately an actual TV taping of Jeopardy where Gloria is now there, and Alex Trebek's there, and everything, and one of the most iconic scenes I can think of from a 90s movie, the Alex Trebek Gloria interaction.
1: So great. It's so great. And she played, this, I think, I mean, there are a lot of good, deliveries from her in this movie. I think her acting is incredible, but she plays the nervousness of a person who's kind of not supposed to be on Jeopardy and is definitely like, she's like surrounded by like some like astrophysicist and some other guy. And, and she's introduced by the Jeopardy voice, uh, as a former disco queen. She's not even currently a disco queen.
0: <laughs> Retired.
1: Yeah. <laughs> she's between disco thrones. Um, but
0: this is like, this is like the, uh, the opening of weird owls. I lost on jeopardy video. She's up against a plumber and an architect, both with a PhD. Yes,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she's, so she's incredibly nervous out the gate, but then she realized these are her categories. They've got the foods that start with the letter Q and and like Popes is another one she studied and president, uh, U.S. President's is one she studied and blah, blah, blah. So um, so like they play it so well of her getting it wrong, getting it right, finding her legs and then taking off.
0: Now, you know about the great ad lib in this scene, right?
1: I do. But I'll let you. Do
0: it. Oh, good. Yeah, there's this is fantastic that that uh, Rosie Perez actually blows one of the lines in the scene and she's on Jeopardy and she's answering these categories and she knows all of the foods to start with the letter Q. But then there's a question about Mount Vesuvius, the uh, <laughs> volcano, and Rosie Perez actually blows the line. She says, Mount Suvius. Mount <laughs> Suvius. Yeah, and Alex Trebek is such a pro that he just goes with it. He's like, oh, let me check with the judges. <laughs> and he goes to the judge, and he's like, yes, that's fine. It's like that was a total ad lib by Alex Trebek, He just as if it was like a real question on the show, and it's perfect.
1: And what Trebek has said in an uh, in interview about that scene is that, like, and— in reality, we would not have accepted it, but we did for the film.
0: <laughs> <I'll tell> you, <laughs> yeah. Team player.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like the judges knew to give a thumbs up. Like they all ad-libbed like perfectly in line for the scene. It's so good.
0: <laughs> but it's funny. I can say that line to almost anybody from who's my age or grew up in the 80s or 90s. Mm-hmm. Just say, Malsuvius, and you know exactly what scene you're talking about in which movie. Yeah. So it's yeah. fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a perfect line, and it is not even an ablip. It's a mistake.
0: Yeah, she blew it. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) All right, so Gloria dusts everybody on Jeopardy because this is what she's been studying for her entire life, and all of a sudden they're rich, and their problems are solved. And they have a
1: giant plastic jar filled with $50 bills.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Is that how they pay out on Jeopardy? Is it in the, the jar system?
1: It's, I wish my dad had gotten that far. He didn't.
0: Oh, you never got the jar filled with cash.
1: No, no. We just we just got the try out again next year. Too bad. Too bad. But everyone gets that. Everyone who wins gets it.
0: Oh, so you get like the consolation prize of an empty jar if you don't win?
1: <laughs> yeah, just in it like is one little piece of paper that you grab out that says try next time.
0: <laughs> There's one sad tear going down the inside of the jar. <laughs>
1: And you're supposed to fill the jar with your tears over the course of a year to motivate yourself. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're really diabolical and psychological there at Murphy Griffin Enterprises.
0: Yeah, Alex Trebek is a dick.
1: Yeah, yeah, like much like Billy Hoyle. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> All right, so I don't even know how to follow that.
1: We're almost there. We're almost there. We're we're right there.
0: Power through. we We're almost to the end. <laughs> All right, so so Woody, so Woody and Gloria, all their prayers have been answered. They have all this money, and of course, Billy's been dumped, but that doesn't deter him as he barges into her dressing room and sings her a song, and basically, they have sex and make up. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, would you uh, would you care to comment on that? No, no, just just how well and
1: quickly that that worked, and that somehow all along he's been writing an acoustic uh, ballad toward Gloria. Okay, sure, why not?
0: so would you say when he gets into a dressing room he's made it into the fucking zone
1: <laughs> He's made it, that's right he's gone fully mormon
0: <laughs> good
1: lord what was the what was the korean title of the movie white man oh
0: white man can't put it in
1: yeah he's he, he begs to differ yeah he put himself in
0: <laughs> yeah he slipped one past the goalie
1: there we go five hole <laughs> good lord
0: Okay, so, so now they've decided to move on with their life, and Gloria takes Billy back, and she says, basically, I'm taking you back, Billy, but from now on, none of this street ball, no more basketball hustling. I'm going to pay for you to go get new clothes. Two thousand dollars. Yeah, two thousand dollars. Yeah, gives two thousand out of the cat, out of the the money jar, and you go out and buy some new clothes for all these job interviews you're going to go on. And she's like, "Do this for me, please." And he's like, "Oh, of course, of course. No, nothing bad could happen to me now with two thousand dollars in my pocket."
1: He even tells her, "He's like, I'm. I, I'm worried I'll do something bad with this." And she's like, "I trust you." Yeah, <laughs> foreshadowing
0: to famous last next, words. The next scene. <laughs> Yeah. So, and in fairness, it's not 100% Billy's fault. He, there's a little pressure on him because what happens is Sydney and his wife, who have been trying to move out of the, the ghetto apartments, they get robbed. Somebody breaks in and steals everything they own. And all of a sudden, the wife is panicky. She's like, "Sydney, get me out of here. I don't want to live here. We have a kid. And now Sydney's the one who needs a favor. It's really a flip-flop of where Billy was last seen. And he goes to Billy, and he says... Uh you know, if you happen to have $2500, we can make some money, Billy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, and and like this is like right as like he finds Billy and Gloria like out on a date where she's rollerblading. Mm-hmm. Probably the first shot of rollerblading in a movie, side note. Uh, hey,
0: uh, wait a minute. You have not seen Xanadu, my friend.
1: Oh, good point. Good point. Good point. <laughs> yes. Uh, Right, but uh, but so they're having this, like, nice date, talking about the future, talking about how she's going to be a big star, blah, 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 and then Sydney finds them and proposes this thing, and uh, it's a weighty decision for Billy, because it's very clear that if he takes this game, he is losing the woman he loves.
0: Yes. And he wrote a song for? So, of course, he takes the game. Of course, he takes the game, yeah. I... In Billy's defense... The, the 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 opportunity that sydney presents him with is the king and duck the best basketball players in venice court history are back in town right. today only and it costs $2500 to play them and we can beat them they're over the hill let's do it for glory and so like you said right. billy knows this is the choice There's like the angel on one shoulder the devil on the other and he is going to take take the choice. We know that Billy will take. He will do the stupid thing and go play the game and leave Gloria.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it works out perfectly.
0: <laughs> yes. He is quickly out of the fucking zone.
1: Oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. He'll have to write two guitar songs to fix this one. <laughs> Yeah. Um,
0: so it's so sad, though. I mean, if you're invested in Gloria and Billy as a couple at all, it's just terrible because it's like yeah. it's like a, it's like just horrible to watch it unfold. You know what's going to happen. Billy yeah. cannot change. He is a constant. He can. There's no hugging, no learning. He's going to do something dumb and lose his money and his girlfriend again.
1: Side question. Were you invested in them? Uh, not really. OK, I was. <laughs> See, <laughs> Oh, I, were you? Yeah. Well, because
0: I loved Gloria. <laughs> Wait, you were nine. You, you were that invested in nine?
1: No. But, like, in my teens, when I – like, I watched this a trillion times in the mid to late 90s and, like, was always like, oh, make it work, Billy. Nope.
0: Oh. You were always hoping you'd get the director's cut version where Billy makes the right choice. Right,
1: exactly. Ron Shelton's uh, – what his pure vision was. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, so uh, Billy – well, yeah, Billy decides to choose glory instead. He's going to say, you know, I can beat the king and duck. And with you go. And it's a nice little scene here at the end where they play the tournament. And Billy and Sydney beat the king and duck. And there are once again the kings of the Venice court. And, and Woody wins all this money. But... And
1: how's the last point scored?
0: Is a dunk. Woody a dunks. Dunk.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you know
0: the trivia, the trivia behind that scene?
1: I don't. Did they lower the
0: hoop? They lowered the hoop, yeah. Wesley Snipes says there's no way Woody could ever dunk a basketball. He's a white guy. They really can't jump, and he's not tall enough. And so Woody said, yes, I can. And so every time Sidney left the court, every time Wesley Snipes left the court, Woody would pay the staff people to lower the hoop a couple inches. And they did it a couple times on the sly. And so on the last dunk, it was actually like a 9-foot instead of a 10-foot hoop. (laughs) That makes
1: sense. That makes sense. I mean – (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's weird that they didn't let Wesley in on it.
0: <laughs> well, I think Woody paid them. There was money. Oh, okay. involved
1: right, right. Yeah, because yeah, they had all the side bets going on yeah. behind the scenes during the shooting of this. That makes sense,
0: right. Yeah. But this is where Woody indeed learns the lesson that Gloria told him earlier in the movie. Sometimes when you win you really lose. Mm-hmm. And so he has won and he had glory and he got the money, but he lost Gloria and he's never gonna get her again. And <laughs> this is where Wesley kinda says, you know, there's one lesson here that's bigger than every other lesson I've told you in this movie. And Woody's like, what's that? And Wesley's like, listen to the woman. Yeah. Yeah. If you really care about her, listen to her. Get a freaking job. Although, to be fair, Sydney's the one that presented him with this offer. So, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, Billy's not – Sydney's not entirely blameless
1: here. But what is – because – Billy raises that same objection and says, it's like, I just presented the option. You didn't really fight it.
0: Yeah. It's, I don't know about that. It's a little more of a gray area. than Yeah. I
1: think. Yeah. I mean, he's twisting the knife. He's definitely pulling on the heartstrings.
0: Yeah. But Billy owed him for getting glory onto the lot. So exactly. yeah, I don't know about that one. It seems like a very convenient ending, but anyway,
1: well, well and actually, so that's the thing is that Billy never, I don't think tells, Gloria that a favor was called in to get her on the show she thinks she earned it through luck and fate and whatever and I wonder if he had told her that a she might have been pissed because she wanted to get there on her on her own but she would have understood owing the favor to Sydney
0: huh interesting so yeah this movie could have ended a couple different ways and they went with the one that was probably the least happy but the most realistic
1: Totally, totally. This guy's a degenerate gambler. He's going to ruin his relationships.
0: So one could say it's really a movie about dating an addict. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't want to date an addict.
1: There we go. It's an addiction movie.
0: It's an addiction movie. We found the genre. Wow. That makes total sense. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so the movie ends with Wesley and Woody just going back to the Venice courts to go hustle people again. Basically going to restart the movie right where they were at the beginning. Full circle. Nobody's learned any lessons. We're just going to go back to what we are. It's the uh, the frog and the scorpion. I can't change my nature. This is what I do. And uh, it ends with them arguing over whether white people can hear Jimi Hendrix or not, which is good. We're going back to that yeah,
1: again. No one has grown
0: at all. Yeah, no one has grown. Although there's a great line here at the very end of the movie where Wesley Snipes says, you know, you don't tell me you can hear Jimmy. He goes, you can put a cat in the oven, but that don't make it a biscuit.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good line.
0: (laughs) And that is the end of the movie. We are right back basically where we started. No hugging, no learning, right back to the world of street hoops. And we've learned a lot of valuable lessons about respect and perception and race and hugging and learning. And most importantly, listen to the woman. Always listen to the woman, Adi. It's
1: exceedingly important. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. All right. So, uh, do we have much more to do?
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, that's the end of the movie. But I know you had a couple side stories you wanted to bring up. I have one that I want to bring up as well. Like, mm-hmm. did you think we did we leave anything out? Is there anything important? How does this movie affect your life? What What do you have for me?
1: I so I I just have a couple other Gloria lines that I absolutely love. Uh, okay. So, one of them was uh, uh, just my fan. So, just the way Gloria made her way into my family's life. Uh, one of the lines is uh, from early on Billy, you're so stupid. We just say that to each other all the time. You're so stupid. <laughs> um, and uh, that line is followed up with uh, one of my favorite lines, which is you should, You should have said you love me infinity plus infinity. Yes. Right after they debate whether there's a difference between infinity and infinity plus two.
0: Is that like the inflexive property or something? I kind of forget the math formula there.
1: (laughs) I I don't think Jeopardy asks about it, so I don't think she really understood what she was talking about.
0: Okay. That does lead me into one thing. I have a, a, a Rosie Perez story here. This is one I always love telling that. She was on a talk show right after this movie came out, and and I, I forget if it was Letterman or Leno, or I don't know, but they were talking about how she just got a new car. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you just got a new car. What did you get? And she's like, I got an Isuzu Troopa, which is the funniest phrase to come out of Rosie Perez's mouth. <laughs> of all the cars, you had to buy an Isuzu Troopa. An Isuzu
1: Troopa. Now, that makes me think. This is not relevant or useful. That there should be some movie with Rosie Perez and Arnold Schwarzenegger together because <laughs> they mispronounce similar vowels. <laughs> it's on a Suzu
0: Trupa. No, it's not. It's on a Suzu Trupa. Rosie Perez and Arnold Schwarzenegger as phone sex operators. <laughs> uh, now, whatever, like, Rosie Perez is really interesting because, like I said, some people cannot stand her voice. Yeah. But I like the movies that she's in because she's so distinct a character. Yeah. Like she absolutely was perfect for Gloria. There's one she did with Nicolas Cage and Bridget Fonda, where she was like a shrew wife that I loved her in. I forget what that was called. Uh, uh, it could happen to you. It could, that was it. It could happen to you. And then she didn't really do much. Like she kind of disappeared. I know she. My wife said she was on The View for a while.
1: Yeah, I pulled up some stuff on her. She's been doing Broadway actually. Oh. Yeah. So she's gone legit or whatever. Not that she wasn't, but, like, yeah, she's gone higher level, I guess. It's tough. It's tough also for it's. It, – I'm sure some of it is the realities of aging women actors uh, have a tough time getting roles until they're grandmothers. And then uh, also women of color, they just have the least roles of any category in, color, uh, in um, Hollywood.
0: And also you can't pronounce basic words.
1: <laughs> well, so that's a – thing that she took issue with um in the oral history because uh ron shelton said that in one of the um one of the interviews after the movie ron shelton said uh that like she did this role so well because she can't speak any other way uh-huh. and she talked about that that did that hit that one sentence did damage to her career and it wasn't true that she really? has done like characters that have like you know made it in corporate america using a really kind of you know plain voice with without uh, a lot of inflection. Really? Yeah.
0: Hmm. Is she like doing Shakespeare and stuff on stage now? I, I don't know what
1: <laughs> what role it was. Uh uh because
0: I've never, I've never heard her talk in any other accent, so I did not realize that was like a character choice. So now I have to go find stuff and look up on the internet because I, you and I were talking before this podcast that we think we'd like to see a Rosie Perez Renaissance just because, mm-hmm. you know, she's so distinct. She's a, she can play these certain characters that other people like. I can't picture Gwyneth Paltrow as Gloria, the disco queen.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> I think they were talking about. Um... Some, some Al Rachel Shields? Is that an actress?
0: I'm sure it is. I don't know who it is, though.
1: Some like 90s. Rachel Griffiths. That's
0: who it was. Oh, Rachel Griffiths. Yeah, I know her. Yes. I think that's a character that Donald Glover plays. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the younger version. Uh, yes, she's doing a bunch of different things on Broadway. Uh, from 2003 to 2007, she had four different roles in different Broadway comedies. And uh, once I don't know, but, uh, then she was recently in something called fish in the dark.
0: Huh? Yeah. All right. A little homework for our staff picks listeners. Go look up Rosie Perez and she would, see what she's been up to. Yeah. And, and
1: find clips of her doing characters that are not disco Queens from the Bronx <laughs> and record her voice and send them to us. Yes.
0: All right. Uh, a couple things before we sign off here. Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson had such amazing chemistry. Um, a lot of people maybe didn't know, don't know that they were friends before this movie. They were in a movie called Wildcats back in the 80s with Goldie Hawn, that they knew each other. So, they kind of had a pre-existing friendship when they did this movie, and this is one of my favorite buddy movies of all time. Again, I love Woody Harrelson in just about every movie he's ever done. I love Wesley Snipes in just about every movie he's ever done. They're so fantastic here. And you'd think, because of their chemistry, that they'd be amazing if they worked together again. I'm telling you right now, do not ever see Money Train, their second movie together. It's terrible. So
1: bad. Oh,
0: God. I don't even know how it's so bad because I like the two of them. But, yeah, you'd think their next movie would have been good, but it wasn't. So let's just pretend this is the only one they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's what history should tell us.
0: Yes. Yes. And the other thing I want to just reiterate to people is that even though this seems like a basketball movie, it really isn't. And I will say, again, I have a friend, he lives out here in L.A., he's a theater guy, and he, my age, he's like in his 40s, and he never saw White Man Can't Jump when it came out, because he thought, oh, it's just an urban basketball comedy, I don't want to see sports movies. And I finally talked him into seeing it, because I did a write-up on this movie on my website a couple years ago. And he's like, all right, I'll give it a chance. And he's like, that was one of the best movies I've seen from the 90s. He goes, I cannot believe I've never seen that yeah. before. Why didn't I see it? And I'm like, because you thought it was a basketball movie. And he's like, I was shocked how good it is. So this is the type of movie, if you don't like sports movies, give this one a chance. It's so different. And like uh, Adi said, mm-hmm. there's no genre. It doesn't really fit into anything. It's just. It's basically Bull Durham, which mm-hmm. isn't a baseball movie. It's about life. Life as seen through the perspective of sports, but it's about life.
1: Yeah, and people thinking really deeply about these very everyday things uh, and like, but not doing that in a, in a academic way at all. Like they're hilarious philosophical lines about basketball, about gambling, about relationships. And, uh, and it's so fast. The movie just moves. It's great.
0: Yeah, there's this, like, I can think of a few movies that have as much energy as this one. It's just, from the moment of the first credits to when they start, it's just energy and energy and energy and, Mm -hmm. and great dialogue. That's the thing people love Quentin Tarantino because he writes great dialogue. Listen to a Ron Shelton movie sometime. It's like Mm -hmm. poetry. Like his, I love his dialogue. I love the way he writes character scenes. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it just snaps. Like all the, uh, the basketball argument scenes are just like you don't want them to stop. You just, and, and you don't you also never know when they're gonna stop because they're not following a normal sports scene pace at all like they're all about the conversations they're not about the hoops being
0: made yeah and again they don't it doesn't feel like you're watching a movie it feels like you're just watching a bunch of people talking <laughs>
1: mm-hmm
0: that's the greatest dialogue it doesn't even sound scripted because it probably wasn't in a lot of cases
1: yeah right right and, and credit to the the production team for putting people in putting the right people in the spots to do that. It is a great movie.
0: Yeah, hopefully we have done it justice. That is one of the bigger movies we've done on staff picks. And I really hope we captured the right spirit and flavor of it because this is one that I really want everyone to know not just people my age who grew up as it was a seminal moment that popped up in my lifetime like at at a time when history and pop culture was changing this was like the litmus test this was the big movie that kind of signaled that it was a change in what culture was kind of looking like at the time so it's just I, I have very strong feelings about this movie I love everything about it and I'm really glad you were here to talk about it with me
1: Thank you so much for uh, for having me on to talk about it. It gave me a chance to remember everything I love about it. I hadn't seen it in maybe like seven, eight years, uh, and and this conversation was so much fun. Uh, sorry if I rambled at some points, but uh, I had a great time. Uh, so thanks again.
0: All right, and just like the sponsors of the tournament said, let's do it again next year.
1: <laughs> and then run. <laughs> yes, run away. It's
0: all over. Thank God.
1: <laughs>
0: All right. Again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpixpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. Until next time, I'll be out looking for more movies that need a little more love, and I'll find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.
2: love. we go with (laughs) Sisla. we go with Sisla.